This is Tech Talk for Accountant Show, where we discuss the hottest topics, tools, apps, and trends in the accounting industry. This show is sponsored by Rush Tech Support, who is offering all listeners of the show a free IT audit so you can know whether or not your business is at risk of being hacked, having a data breach, or getting fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for non-compliance. You can schedule a free check at rushtech.online slash podcast. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Tech Talk for Accountants show. I'm your host, Andrew Lassis, with Rush Tech Support. And with us today, Sham Chaudhary. And today we're going to be talking about how to increase the valuation of your accounting firm. He works as a private investor. So we're going to be discussing some of the ways and got to get the background right, right? We're going to be discussing some of the ways that you can increase the value to your firm things, maybe some mistakes that he's seen along the way. He's been doing it for a long time. So Sham, thank you so much for being on the show. No, thank you for having me. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, it's late here, but it's okay for you at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, it's perfect. It's, it's noon 30. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate the, the time zone difference. So so how about giving uh, the listeners background on, you know, where you started and how you got into private investing? Yeah. So Andrew, it's interesting you asked me that question because um, it, it's, it's, I've been sort of in capacity of a private sort of a independent consultant as a business architect. Um, and I've been doing that for quite a long time, more than I sort of uh, can mention. And I think I wanted to use that skill set um, somewhere else. And I came across sort of this buy and build and mergers and acquisition in growing companies. And that's where I was. So I think after sort of a good 16 years of doing architecting businesses, key pillars to their value streams and their strategies, you know, I'm trying to be well equipped to help those small, medium enterprises to help them do the same because they don't have access to consultancy level advice. So that's where I am. And I think uh, it's a key position to be in. So Maybe walk us through what was the the first experience like for you going through the first is, is MA, is that the correct term for how these um these processes work? Yeah. Or is it a little different? Yeah, I think I mean to 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 to, to be to be honest, Andrew, the way it is, yeah. I mean, you call them mergers and acquisition or buy and build is just more of a sort of sort of off-the-shelf type sort of terminology, but what you're doing is you're trying yeah, you're trying to create a group of companies together and plobber them into one group. So you have synergies there. Um, at the moment, sort of, you know, we're going through very early on. The traction is increasing where we're trying to post COVID, trying to get much more activity going and more more um, more interest uh, developed because, you know, it, it's not easy to reach out to people uh, who, who want that type of service, really. So, and, and this may also be kind of shooting yourself, but at the same time, uh, helping others. So if someone is looking to go down that road, what are some of the mistakes that you see owners make that are decreasing their valuation and then flip side, what are some tips they have that you have to, uh, increase the valuation, which would put you in a, if we're trying to buy low, sell high, maybe not the best, but for a value, yeah. How, how can one do that? Well, I think the question is there's no one 
size that fits all to a solution. And you probably hear that many times, but one of the key things for my experience has been is if you don't have um, an accountability matrix within your organization, i.e. a RACI, so who's accountable, who's responsible in your organization from a workflow perspective, then really you're running it just as a business. But if you run it with a responsible, accountable type accountancy, uh, accountable matrix on top of your workflows, and your each individual within your team and your organization is mapped to a role responsibility and accountable with workflows, you're a sellable company. So that's where you can, that's one thing should be common across all organizations, big or large, small, doesn't matter. Because you can have all the systems and all the processes in place, but if you don't have anyone responsible doing it and articulated it, you're never going to be sellable. So I think, and that's how you increase your value. It's not by just installing a system, you know, that's not going to help. Automating is not going to help. You've got to make people responsible for what they have to do to automate things and repeatable to be more valuable. And I think that's the key thing. So that's in a nutshell. That's one. There's many other things. It depends on the, the end target, really, how they're set up, that they may have a racy, but they don't have anyone to do the work. So building it and having people in place. And you know, we were talking a little before the show. I've been on the other side of the table with the, um, the merger world and having people wanting to invest and, you know, kind of doing as the, the, uh, broker had put it, they're going to perform a colonoscopy on, uh, on the business and just digging in there to where it's uncomfortable. And, um, you know, some of the, some of the things that, that we had learned along the way, some of them just were a good thing that we just happened to be doing, like not having the owner as the central point of failure. And like you had mentioned, having systems and having people accountable for them, because if everyone only wants to do business with the business owner, then you've kind of pigeonholed yourself into owning a job and no one's really looking to invest and buy a job. If you were trying to, not be part of it. And, you know, for me, it's like, I, I built this, it's my baby. It's, it wasn't ever really about the, you know, exit and sail off to the sunset, but you know, the, the opportunities there and for growth and things like that. And so we had learned that, you know, when the, the people were talking to us, they're like, Oh, great. So you have key employees in this spot, you have key employees in this spot, the accountability, the growth, not depending on, you know, the solo owner, I could build relationships, business development. I can be a pretty face on a podcast. That's what everybody wants. They want the sexy guy. That's, that's me. I'm, I'm the, I'm the bedazzling, you know, I'm I'm not the jean jacket. I'm the little, (laughs) I'm the gems that they put on it, but you're buying it. it. Yeah. Yeah. No. Dazzle this company. Yeah. It's interesting, Andrew. You just mentioned um, the key dependency, and then that's very critical because, you know, accountants, they and the practices that people are running, they get very focused on doing the doing. And they're doing it very good, exceptionally well, exceptionally well, and no one else can really replace them. But the question is that you've got to work your business, doesn't matter what sector you're in, in a way that you can delegate people your tasks so they become more responsible, more accountable, and more thinking like you, almost like, you know, you're, you're delegating and elevating, if that's a terminology some people use in business books, is 
you teach them to delegate them, you give them the capacity and the learning experience to think for themselves within a framework or boundaries, and that allows them to grow, but it also allows you to disengage from activity, which is calling, you know, which is holding you back, is going out and doing the visionary stuff and strategy stuff. So once you've established uh, uh, almost like a, a responsibility matrix within your organization, then you will always come back. If someone comes knocking on your door, says, Sham, can you help me on this? It says, that's, you know, you can just go back to the responsibility matrix. So look, this is your job. I've given you a framework. Please go ahead. Only come to me if it's beyond your capability. So it, it's almost like being nice to them, but harsh, but it's trying to teach the organization that they need to grow and learn themselves within a framework. And then if someone from the outside comes and starts doing a, a, you know, looking in all its figures and everything, I don't want to say the word you just said, um, but um, it, it's it's important because then they can see that the company has more room to grow and they can invest further. And that means it will value more. And also the, not only in the valuation part of the equation, but just even when you're being part of the organization and growing the organization, you know, being at the top of the organizational chart where it's all right, I know that I am responsible for X, Y, and Z, but you know, when it started and it was only me, I was responsible for A to Z and then zero through nine and zero through 10 million. Every single piece of it fell on my shoulders. And I think one of the the difficult things that a lot of people are running into now, especially uh, post COVID, at least in America, is finding good hard workers. Because one of the mistakes that I had made, or I got very lucky early on and and um, had a key employee. I didn't know it at the time. He was just the only person that showed up to work on time and I had to fire his boss. So it was just like, hey, your boss got fired um, and you show up to work, which makes you better than everyone else. You know, that's just kind of to paint the picture what 2015 looked like <laughs> for yeah. us. But that person, you know, he took the position by the reins. And like you said, within the framework. So I say, here are the rules to the game, but you're going to play this game and think and strategize on your own. And on my side, you know, just watching that person take it and run with it and grow it better than I was growing it. It was like, so I didn't have to do this and I'm building, empowering this person. Their, their wages are going up and everybody in the company, it's growing Every, Everything kept getting better, but the mistake that I made was I didn't realize that it was that particular person and how they were built because we had tried it with another organization where it was like, oh yeah, all you do is just hire someone, give them, give them the reins and just watch it grow. And it's like six months later, it's like, we're hemorrhaging money. Like, what are you doing to grow the company? It's like, um, I don't know what to do. It's like, ah, oh, whoops, forgot that part. Yeah. So this is, this is interesting, isn't it, Andrew? Because um, if you think about any organization where you, you basically have three pillars in any organization, doesn't matter which sector, it's the people, the processes, and the systems. Now, those three have to have an element of responsibility framed around it so they can grow. But those three pillars is you know what I've been doing and aligning them to, uh, to strategy of the C-level. And it's interesting to see that, you know, it's the same problem we have in a small medium enterprises. 
they're much more nimble and small and more agile. They're easier to adapt and adopt changes, but they tend to have a tunnel vision because they're so in the thick of doing things. I think they just need to sort of take one thing at a time. And, you know, it's not about sort of, you know, I want to sell tomorrow. It's more like it's a journey they have to go through to mature their um, their systems and processes and human capital experience. And then you'll see there'll be like a critical mass when you have all those aligning. You'll, you'll be in a mess sort of uh, chaos going on, but suddenly you'll see your revenue starts going up. You get more business coming in. You get more operational efficiency. It will start falling in. And before you know, you're scaling up again and you're not sure what's happening. But if you've got your core structure, three pillars correct, you've got the responsibility matrix, you can adapt and grow. And that's where, you know, where it's, you know, you'll, you, it's, you can see that happening when you're running the ship. And it's interesting because it's, it's all human beings involved in it and they all have the same way of working, but just a different way of approaching it and different attitudes. You can teach someone skill, but not attitude. So you've got to make sure you harness that through responsibility. Yeah. And getting, getting the right personality. I mean, that's one of the things that, um, in Jim Collins book, good to great, they talk about having the right people on the bus and the right people want to work with other right people. So sometimes, you know, as a business owner, it's like, we need a body to answer the phone. Are you, are you kind of able to do this? Uh, Okay, whatever. Just, I need somebody to answer the phone because we're drowning and we'll, we'll just figure it out as we go. And having the wrong person it's just toxic throughout the whole organization. And then others see, well, this person is slacking here and well, that's not fair that I'm working hard and they're not. So it just brings everybody down, but it's like, well, I got to put out this fire. I got to put out this fire. Here's a new thing that pops up. And, you know, one of the things that, one of the myths I thought uh, starting my business eight years ago, I thought that would just be easy after a while. It's just, you know, just you figure it out. And just after a couple of years, it's like, there's no real new challenges like this morning. Oh my gosh. We're, we're dealing with something that we had never uh, dealt with before. And just going back and forth with one of the techs and it's like, everything's on fire. It'll, it'll work itself out. But um, back to on the, the valuation side of things. So we talked about having the people and the processes and uh, now the third one's escaping. Was it systems? Systems, yeah. Systems. So having having those in place are going to be important for valuation. Um, one of the misconceptions I had, maybe you could talk uh, on this, is we were running the company to be very, very uh, beneficial for taxes. And what is beneficial for taxes on your P&L and things like that is not really beneficial for valuation where they're like, well, you know, you're, you're doing terrible. This (laughs) you'd have to pay me in order to get this off your hands. And it's like, no, 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 no. Add back seller discretionary earnings. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like we're, we're doing everything that we're, you know, allowed to be doing, but you know, just because this says that we are terrible, you know, we're investing in things and, you know, taking different, different, um, uh, like cash basis and things like that. So we're, we're making choices that are kind of impacting the, the P and L today to save money on taxes for, for, you know, this year, yeah. but on the acquisition side where people are looking at, they're like, your company's terrible. How do you, so what, what does kind of the process look like 
on an investor side where you're looking at something that's been run for tax benefits for the last X years. And then they're looking at, well, it's, you know, it, I know it says that it's bad. It's really not though. Promise. How, yeah. how does one go about that? Yeah. It's interesting because there's two types of people who are looking to buy um, or invest in these type of uh, accountancy practices, if I can say that, because the reasons one is to grow your revenue model and that's it. You're not concerned about the, the, the other systems, processes and people, and you just want to get your revenue model merged and that's it. So they won't have that due diligence go through or in greater depth. So they won't be too concerned about that. But there's the other side is, whereas if you are, it's your time frame. So if you are looking to sell, it's no point in doing the activity now and think about in six months I can sell. If you're thinking about selling today, most buyers or so most sellers switch off a year ago because they've already made up their mind and you can see the decline. That means there's opportunity to grow back up really. So, but if there's, if there's um, sellers out there or, 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 or companies out there who are, who are growing on the processes and systems inside, people like me can actually see through the weed and see what the value there will be in investing in that company because it'd be able to grow through marketing or whatever other strategies you can use. So there's three different types. So I did say two, but there's three different methods you can approach it. Yes, I know both, all three will have their own pros and cons and how you capitalize on it, but it depends on who the buyer is and who the seller is really. And those personas need to match, you see. And that's why, you know, we have, I have a very specific persona target that I'm looking to acquire. And if it doesn't fit my model, and then I'll just move on to the next one, if that makes sense, to make sure, uh, you know, it fits to our model of whatever taxation revenue, whatever we want to do in our, our milestone. So I think it really depends. But I think I think there's always going to be capacity. You're always going to be outnumbered. There's going to be more buyers than sellers because no one's going to put their hand up and say, admit, I want to sell because that seems like a failure to them in their mind. But from the investor point of view, it's actually you need quite a lot of courage to put your hand up that you want to sell and let's start talking. So, you know, I think investors or buyers tend to be a bit more clued up on that element and they can see through that element depending on what the persona is or out of those three. That answers your question in a long yeah. way. Well, I, I need long-winded answers so that so that I don't have to do the work and you get to be the star. <laughs> so keep it, keep it up. Um, yeah. So one of one of the pieces where we had done a lot in this was 2016, 17. There were a ton of opportunities for us in the merger world where it was basically fire sales. There were a lot of people in our industry and I could kind of see the writing on the wall that the companies were, they had a lot of potential, but they were just not being run the way that they should be. And yeah. essentially what ended up happening, and this is you know one of those hindsight looking back on, it's like the smartest thing I probably ever did in my whole life, or at least the best ROI. Yeah. Uh, we're still making, making, um, money off of some of those things that happened in 2015, 2016. But I saw these companies, I saw how they were being run and it was like surface level. It was almost like the opposite of what we've been talking about. It was like surface level. They're doing really well. These guys are making stupid money. Yeah. They, they will keep doing this until the wheels fall off. But I could see it was like, the wheel is going to fall off. Like if you just ignore these gigantic inferno fires because it's not affecting your revenue right now, like it's 
going to explode eventually. And what ended up happening was tons of these companies that were making tons, millions of dollars, they just overnight, poof, gone. Everything got frozen. Everything got just, it, it sucked to see how it was going on. But on my side, on the acquisition side, it's like, Hey, you have all these resources. I only need a handful of them. I will pay you an unreasonable amount of money for an Excel sheet. But I know that I will turn that Excel sheet into a gigantic ROI because that that one piece of the business is a ton of opportunity for us in marketing and being able to leverage the relationship that the uh, organization already had with its people. So we were able to grow a ton through finding companies that were valued really, really high when we started looking at them and then just kind of waited for the explosion. Now, this was very, very specific. Is that something that, and I mean, that's kind of like a, a like raw, bad way to, to frame it. But um, is that ever something that's, that's on your mind where maybe right now isn't the right time to purchase because the valuation may seem too high, but waiting until later and maybe get a price that works maybe for you? What's that look like? Or do you ever experience that? Um, I think uh, if I explain what what my target audience tends to be is I, I look to acquire and invest in non-systemized practices or businesses. So they don't have probably uh, a responsibility matrix in place. They probably don't have much systems and processes and they have a lot of key dependencies in place. So effectively, they, they may be profitable, they've ironed out and they're seasoned to be ironed out with all the ups and downs, but that you can tell for the last, let's say if they're trading for 10 years, they've ironed out the ups and downs of seasons. The reason why they can't grow is because they don't have the capacity um, to grow because they don't have the responsibility delegated. And they're at that, that capital signature that they can't afford to service more debt to give more salaries. So they're in a chicken and egg situation, unfortunately. And the only way they can be is being part of a bigger group or they understand by delegating, they need to sacrifice some operational expense to allow for growth so that they can hire someone to do more of the job and get a better ROI. Um, I don't know if you've read a book by Greg Crabtree. Um, he's over at your side. He's, he's written quite a few books on numbers. And he says most companies tend not to, um, you know, revenue means nothing. But if you look at the capital signature of their running, um, that if that's sort of um, above their pre-tax profit, they're going to burn out. And if it's below their pre-tax profit, they're effectively going to, they're going to, they can afford to hire more people for marketing or, 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 or hire more salaries to do more technical work or whatever work they need. So I think what, what tends to happen is people overlook that. And they, they, they don't have that responsibility element of delegation side sorted. So they don't know what they can afford to go forward with because they think everything has to be done through me and they don't know how to delegate. And I think that's that's the difference, difference I have is I have a very specific target. Yes, I have come across those type of companies, but I have tried to avoid them because you're asking for more, more difficulty to unravel before you get the decent return back from them and there's more effort. Um, so, so, so coming to answering to your question, is because I'm trying to buy these non-systemized businesses, I'm trying to amalgamate them into a systemized way based on their capital signature, their 
you know, the, how their companies run at the moment and slowly bring on board the system that I think will be the most ROI. So there's less friction and less inertia. So that's a much better way of doing it. Uh, before I even look at their numbers and due diligence, I just ask the owner, you know, can you give me a responsibility matrix? I draw one out. This is what I think it looks like. Can you put your names in here? Who's it? Who, who your organization? And they they don't know the answer. That just answers all my questions. So in looking for it, it's not even necessarily about the numbers, but what kind of structure is in place? And you know, those those are some of the exercises. Yeah, you know, when you we've worked with consultants many times in the past or like gone through workbooks and things like traction and, and things like that, where, you know, that question's asked and yeah, ask 10 different people in the organization, show me the organization chart of, you know, who reports to who, what each person's responsibilities are. And you'll get all these different answers of what everyone's opinion is of where they, where they fall and who's responsible for what. And then you look at things and, and for us, you know, like one of our issues was growth. We had a ton of growth through the merger acquisition, just based on, I knew the people, I knew the players, and I knew that the wheels would eventually fall off. And within 18 months with all of them, they did. And that was just how it happened. And then, you know, a couple of years go by and we're like, you know, we're not, we're not growing anymore. Why? you know, why aren't we growing? And then it was like, well, who's responsible for growth? And it's like, everybody. And it's like, that's not the answer for, for how, how to grow. But, you know, just a simple question like that, a simple, who is responsible for making these opportunities happen? How does someone go about approaching another company for another merger acquisition, like all these things, we just, we didn't have the answers and now we do. And guess what? We've the last like three months, just explosive, which now it's like very stressful. You know, in the past it was like, oh man, I, I need more business. I need more business. Things are slow. What about this? What about that? And now it's like, oh, it's so busy. Stop getting new customers all the time. <laughs> like food and famine, isn't it all the time? So yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, and this is why I'm always looking at ways of, for my sort of experiences being sort of architecting these type of pillars and processes and systems, you can weed through the numbers, I mean, and understand much better than the numbers make sense on its own. Because, you know, you can use all the accountancy principles and, and document compliantly, but they don't really represent what the company's actually doing because you're just trying to go through the activity of booking your expenses and your, you know, whatever your cash flow is. But it doesn't really reflect the social footprint of your organization because that really dictates the value. And if you can articulate that, which is the hardest thing to do, if you can articulate who does what, where, and when, and by 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 how, that's more important. And then everything else falls under it. All the all the technology stacks, all the systems and processes all sit underneath that. And that's where you know. I think owners and existing business owners don't realize that the value in just sitting aside half an hour a day, understanding the organization, who does what, and that's automatically working towards growing because then you'll see the gaps, you'll see the opportunities, you'll see where it's gone wrong. And, and rather than just doing the doing, just see what you are actually doing, analyze that, and can it be done better? And asking the question, who's, who's responsible for growth, probably will be answered through that, through that exercise. And what are some of the traditional or is there like a 
I guess nothing really is one size fits all. What are some of the most common uh, positions and things that need to have accountability? And I'd say high level, what are the most common ones that should be in every organization? And then next one, which ones are missing most frequently? You know, I was reading a book a week or so ago. I can't remember what, I can't quote it even now. Um, I think it was Traction, actually. Yeah, it was Traction. Um, this and, is and brought it, to you by Traction. <laughs> yeah, but it, it resonated to, to, to myself because um, it, you can't look at one in isolation, but one of the most important ones is, is, you know, if you look at it in sequential order, I think they're all three in parallel. It's probably, you know, if you look at the customer fo- fake focusing side, that's very important because you're drawing in business. That's very important to have that really nailed down, the processes, the accountability around it. But then you've got to also look at the finance because you might be doing very good from the customer side. You're bringing in revenue, you're generating profit. But if the finance is a bit hemorrhaging, at, you know, then you're not really, it's not worth your, your bucket's getting empty more than quicker than you can fill it in. So those two has to go hand in hand and then operations in the middle. So, you you know, those three need to be the key focus whenever you are starting off in parallel, because there's the workflow from the front end to the operations, to the finance, when the money leaves your organization, those three have to be the key things in any, in any pillars of or processes or, or areas that I would focus on, on any company. And it could be that the finance is fantastic. Operations is fantastic. But they're sitting waiting because revenue is not doing anything. Customers are not coming in. So they, they're just twiddling their thumbs waiting for something to happen. So, you know, so it's interesting. Those three have to be in parallel. Hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, I've I've seen that just just firsthand. Like when when I had started the company and it was just me, all I was focusing on was I will I know that my skill is better than 90 plus percent of the people that are in the same pool as me. And, you know, you gotta do business with me because I'm the best and everything was in my head. There weren't any documented processes. And I actually, it was just one of those serendipitous moments. I I was with a friend and he was at this woman's house and she turns out to be a consultant. And so she's asking me these questions, you know, what's your break even what's this and that. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like I look at my checking account and it's bigger every month. Like that's, that's my finance. Like it's, it's working. I don't need to know my numbers. It works. And she's like, that's not how a business works. I'm like, I'm just some guy fixing computers lady. And she's like, Nope. She's like, you know, too much. She had brought her printer to geek squad like a hundred times and it didn't. And then I just sat there for like 10 minutes and she's like, what? you are some next level because, because I knew more than like some kid that has no idea. But anyway, it was, it was a great learning exercise because I think a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners, at least on their first time through are just kind of looking at the checking account. And I don't know the numbers. I just know that it seems to be more than it used to be. And okay. I pay a couple bills, da da da, this and that. And it just keeps working. So I don't really need, you know, knowing the numbers and the operation stuff, it doesn't apply to me. I just sit here and I fix it and it works and I'm a terrible salesman and I'm working like insane hours because I have no spine and everything's just, 
it worked until it didn't. But I think that's, it's really important that people need to realize, I think accountants probably get it more than the average bear of how important finances are. But just speaking on the side of it's a lesson that I had to learn that I just had a job for a year. And then, and then once I started growing and scaling, it's like, oh, that's how you go from 36,000 to 2 million. You can't do it by yourself. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you look at any professional services companies like lawyers or, or financial brokers or accountancy practices, they're all very, very um, highly educated and good at what they do. And that goes for the um, managed service providers. You know, if you're, if you're in a particular skill set like cloud or cybersecurity, you've got to be, you, know, you need to know your stuff reasonably well to be able to articulate and look at the things. But the key thing is that with any of these professional services, the, the problem they have is that they're not, they, they know how to provide a service very well and add value to the end client. But once that's done, the overall maintenance of that customer in the future, the operation side, that needs to be someone, either they have to learn that skill set or hire someone to do it for them if they haven't got the bandwidth. Because you're right, I mean, you, you, you know, you can't have, uh, you know, uh, any company grow by, by more than a certain amount if you can't really have that sort of mechanism in place. You need to be able to allow it to grow, to delegate it and allow that responsibility to be passed on. And that allows you to be more creative in what you're doing anyway. I mean, if you want to end up still being, you know, be be the techie person or the, be the compliant person who deals with the customers and adding value, fine. But you need to be able to allow someone else to do the thinking or the growing or the operations. Because you can bring in as much business as you want. You can do as much added value stuff. But if your backend systems and processes and people are not capable of dealing with it, you're going to have a very, you're going to fall for new fall flat really very quickly or at some point when you grow to a critical mass. Yeah. And I think it's just one of those things that happens and you don't think it'll happen until it does happen. And then when it happens, it's, it's like, ah, uh, that's what they've been talking about all along. I do need to delegate. I, I recall having the, the thought in my head when the company first started really growing. And I remember thinking, I was like, there is no way that I can keep doing all this tech work all the time. Like every, every customer takes an hour or two per day. So I can service at the high end, eight customers per day. We have over a hundred customers at that point. And it was like, if only 8% use us today, I can't get it done. And then, you know, we keep growing and then it's 300 customers and it's like, I can't do it. I need somebody else. And then I had pigeonholed myself because everybody loved me. So when the new guy came in, they're like, I only work with Andrew. And it's like, no, 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 this guy's good. They're like, nope, only Andrew. And it's like, ah, so I had to, had to get around that. But Sham, I, I want to be conscious of your time. Thank you so much for being on the show. Where can people find you online to learn more about you and uh, your investments? Yeah, I think the best is uh, is LinkedIn. I'm always quite active on there. So LinkedIn has got all my details and credentials. Reach out to me, message me, email me or phone me. My number's on there. If they need to get hold of me, it's no problem. I'm quite approachable, really. Awesome. And as always, if you 
have an accounting firm and you are a little questionable about whether or not your cybersecurity is in a good spot, whether or not your IT person is actually doing a good job. I know that you may think that your brothers, friends, fiancés, stepsons, baby is a real whiz with computers and can do everything, but just to get a second opinion, head over to tech4accountants.net. You could schedule a complimentary IT audit from one of our technicians certified by the AICPA in cybersecurity to at least give you the peace of mind or maybe direct you in the direction that you need to go. So Sham, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure to have you on. I learned a lot. Hopefully the viewers I enjoyed it as well. And you have a great day. All right. Take care. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Tech Talk for Accountant show. Be sure to subscribe if you like the show. And remember, if you would like a complimentary IT audit of your business, go to rushtech.online slash podcast to schedule a time with a certified technician who can look over your current IT systems and make recommendations on how to make sure you and your clients are safe.